Well, welcome again, all of you here and those of you watching at home. Today's sermon is entitled Rivers of Living Water, Rivers of Living Water. And if you were paying attention during the scripture reading, I think you already know where the title of this sermon comes from. But let's let's work our way to those words out of the mouth of Jesus. And before, before we get too deep into today's discussion, I want to go ahead and answer a foundational question as to why we are talking about holiness today. We must remember the story of the Bible, it began in Genesis, right? And humans were in God's presence right there in the presence of God. But because of their rebellion, they were soon banished, sent out of the Garden of Eden and away from God's presence. But God, he still wanted to be in relationship with humanity. He still wanted to be in relationship with his creation. And so he chooses one family that he will used to help restore humanity back to his presence. And it is through this family's lineage that Jesus would eventually come. So why are we talking about holiness? Why are we going to be talking about reverence? It's because they are integral topics. They are integral themes that are interwoven throughout the entire biblical narrative. We'll see that today, both Old Testament and into the New Testament. Now, I know that we as Christians, we tend to do a pretty good job of arguing about stuff, (laughs) arguing about things when it comes to theology and, and our beliefs of what is being said. But I wanna make a statement that I think all of us can agree with. And that simply is this, God is holy. God is holy, amen? This is one of the clearest teachings in all of the Bible. But I don't wanna just say that, I I wanna show you that. So let's look at some verses. First Samuel 2, verse two, it says, no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Leviticus 19, 2. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And then Revelation 15, verse four, it says, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you for your judgments have been manifested. What this word holy is describing is the fact that God is the creative force 
behind the entire universe. The entire universe. The abilities and the character of God make him utterly unique. Unique. So let's try and and think of a metaphor here. Let's try and think of the sun there up up in the in the solar system as a metaphor for God. In our solar system, the sun is unique, the sun is powerful, and the sun is the source of life. So running with this metaphor, once again, you could you could say that the sun is is holy. You could even take this metaphor further by saying that the area even around the sun is holy because the closer we get to it, the more intense it gets, right? The sun is good, but it is also dangerous. The sun is good, but it is also dangerous. Now, I don't want you to make the word dangerous equivalent to bad. Because that's not what I'm saying here. It is simply so powerfully good that it can be dangerous under certain circumstances. Does that make sense? God is much the same way. So the paradox here at at the center, is that even though God is holy, if we come to him in an impure state, it can be dangerous for us under those conditions. And this isn't because God is so bad, but it's because he's so good. We... Dear friends, we are the bad ones in this situation, right? Even though we try to make it seem like we are so good when it comes to the problem with us and God and why we can't be so close in his presence, he isn't the bad one that falls on us. The first time we see this paradox of God's holiness in the Bible is in the book of Exodus with Moses and the burning bush. Moses and the burning bush. In Exodus 3, 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar with this story. You remember this story. But as the story goes on, God tells Moses that he, he needs to take off his sandals, right? Because he was standing on holy ground. And he also said, and you shouldn't come any closer. Take off your sandals and don't come any closer. So now this this talk about the intensity of God's holiness, it goes even further throughout the book of Exodus and the, the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. And the concept is made crystal clear when we look at the sanctuary that was built in the wilderness. Not just a building, but a, a symbol. 
The sanctuary was the main place where God's holy presence was located. For bonus points, does anyone remember what that, what that word is for God's presence in the sanctuary? That Hebrew word? Yes, Shekinah glory. Elvira, remind me to give you a, a prize later. <laughs> God's Shekinah glory, this, this Hebrew word that was used to describe everything that God is, his character, his power, his goodness. It was in the most holy place of the sanctuary because we serve a God that wants to be with us, right? He wants to be near us. He wants to be close to us. So God's holy presence, it was located specifically in the most holy place. And so whether you were an Israelite living outside and around the sanctuary, or even if you were one of the Levites, one of the priests working directly inside the sanctuary, even the high priest who went once a year into the most holy place, you were in close proximity to God's presence and under certain conditions. That could be dangerous. While this was a problem, the Bible offered a solution. The Old Testament presents the solution as needing to become pure, needing to become pure. And we're not just talking about moral purity. We're also talking about ritual purity. When you see this concept of purity talked about in the Bible, you'll see both of those mentioned, moral pureness and ritual pureness. And the quickest and easiest way to describe this ritual purity, um, it's when somebody chose to not associate themselves with death. With death. So diseased skin, dead bodies, even some bodily fluids, these fall under the category of things that can make a person ritually impure or unclean. Now, let's not misunderstand this, though. Being ritually unclean, being ritually impure, doesn't necessarily equate to sinfulness. It's waltzing into God's presence while in an impure state that is the problem. And this is why God gave us those books in the early part of the Old Testament that many times people feel are, are, are confusing or boring or hard to get through, like the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus spends most of its time giving explanation on these things that can make a person impure or unclean. But then also it gives clear steps on how that person who has come into contact with something associated with death can then become pure again and go back before God's presence. But this concept, it doesn't just stop here. It goes on and it grows and develops and evolves throughout the entire biblical narrative. For instance, in the book of Isaiah, there's a very interesting story. Isaiah, he has this wild vision, and in this vision, he is in the temple before the very presence of God. 
And when he realizes this in the vision where he is and who he is, he says this in Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar." And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched my, your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. That was good news for Isaiah. And I think as we continue forward in this sermon, you'll see that this is good news for all of us. So somehow that hot coal is able to make Isaiah, who is an impure man, pure. This is quite remarkable. And if you're reading the Bible from Genesis onward, when you get to this point, it's very remarkable because it's very different. Before this vision, before Isaiah had this vision, the story went like this. You touch something impure, and then that thing passes on its impurity to you. That's how the story went. That's how things worked. And so although Isaiah is an unholy and an impure human, this isn't me poking fun at him. Remember, he said that. That was out of his own mouth. The coal touches his lips and its purity is transferred to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness, but instead he's transformed by it. The implications of this are massive, massive. Yet, it doesn't just stop right there. Another development takes place in the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, specifically chapter 47, another vision. In Ezekiel chapter 47, the prophet of God has a vision where he is standing at the door of the temple. So he's not inside the temple, he's outside the temple, but he's right there at the door. And he notices that under the crack of the door, there's this water flowing out and flowing down the steps and it just keeps on flowing. Starts as a trickle, but it soon changes. It turns into a stream. And before long, Ezekiel realizes the water's up to his ankles then it's up to his knees, then it's up to his waist. And that trickle then turns into a torrential stream that is so deep and so powerful that he can't even cross through it. And then the way that he describes it is that this river, it flows out into the desert, the dry, dead, barren desert. But as it starts to cut its way through the desert, trees start popping up around it. That water is bringing life to a dry and barren place. Eventually, it flows into the Dead Sea. And everything that it touches becomes fresh and new and alive. Verse 8 tells us that the waters in the Dead Sea are healed, are healed. So what have we learned? 
What have we learned here this morning? And instead of us becoming pure first, somehow cleaning ourselves, somehow doing something to get pure and clean before we go into the temple, God's holiness comes out of the temple, chasing after us. And when it gets a hold of us, it changes us, it transforms us, and it makes us clean. That's the type of God that we serve. But what does this all mean? What does this all mean? If we're only looking at the Old Testament, we don't have the answer. We don't have the answer to that question, but luckily we get some clarity in the New Testament. We get some clarity and some answers when we meet Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and he claims that he is fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising and radical new ways. Jesus, throughout his ministry, he is going around and he is physically touching people that are impure. Did you notice that throughout its ministry? He touches people with skin diseases, even a woman with chronic bleeding, even dead people. He's touching them. And when he touched them, their impurity should have transferred onto him, but instead, his purity was transferred onto them. Jesus, it's like that metaphor I was using earlier. Jesus is like the sun, giving life to all those in his midst. Jesus is like that holy hot coal. In Isaiah's vision, Jesus is like that healing water that is flowing out of the temple in Ezekiel's vision, giving life to everything it touched. He even claimed that he was the full embodiment of God's presence. He went so far as the claim that he and his followers had become God's new temple. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you this new temple? Jesus said that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world, bringing with it new life, new healing, and hope. And I believe this is why Jesus referred to his followers in this way. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So dear friends, this is our part of the story. We've read these things from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, you know, and it's easy to read things, to just sit on the sideline, but with these words, we are brought into the story. We are given a mission. This is how we, Christians in the 21st century, can get involved in building up the kingdom of God. We are called to be like that hot coal. We are called to be like that flowing, living water. But where is this all heading? Where is this all heading? The last pages of the Bible, 
they give a final vision of the future. And John the Revelator, he ends the biblical narrative by bringing us back into focus with God's holiness. In this vision, specifically in chapter 22, we see the whole world made new again. And the entire world has now become God's holy temple. The river from Ezekiel's vision in chapter 47, it's now seen flowing directly from the throne of God. That water, that river, it gives life. And all those ugly things, sin, impurity, uncleanness, they're gone. They're gone. Nowhere to be seen. And all of creation is immersed in the holiness of God and brought back to life forever. Forever. You see, we have this beautiful future to look forward to. But in the meantime, God is extending an invitation. An invitation. God is actually offering us a new heart fashioned after his. A new heart. Can anyone in here take a new heart? Does anyone need a new heart right now? (laughs) God is offering that to us. It's an invitation. It's a free gift. Once again, you'll you'll see that uh, fleshed out a little bit more in the book of Ezekiel. He's not calling us to live a life rooted in fear of this person or that thing because they may be impure or unclean. Because if we're honest with ourselves, that is nothing more than self-preservation underneath a Christian mask. Instead, he calls us to live a life like Jesus, to live a life like Jesus. He's calling us to a life of mission, of mission, to see people and to treat people in the way that Jesus saw people and treated people. Instead of running from or shaming those that we deem to be impure or unclean, we are drawn to them in the hopes that God will use us to touch them and to make them pure, to make them clean. Not because we are so great or so powerful, but because God wants to use us to connect others with him. That's our mission. That's our call. God wants us to bring others into his presence. He wants to use us to help others show reverence to him, a.k.a. enter into a relationship with him. Far too often, dear friends, fellow Christians, we live in fear. We live in fear. Fear of that music that we think is impure, Fear of that teaching that we think is unclean. Fear of people that we don't believe live up to a certain standard. And we talk about these people, and we judge these people, and we turn our backs on these people. We run from them. But what if God is trying to draw us to those people, toward those people, 
Jesus has given each one of us, through his spirit, a special power like that of the hot coal in Isaiah's vision. The things and the people that we touch and claim for God's kingdom, they don't infect us with their impurity, but instead we infect them with the same purity that Jesus passed out to everyone that he came into contact with. First, God gave his people rituals. We've seen that this morning. Then he started giving them visions. And now he has tasked us with the job of going out into an impure world, an unclean place, and playing the role of being God's people. Giving us the task of making things pure. Extending life, extending comfort, extending hope to people that don't have any of it. Reverence propels us into awareness of mission. And in closing, I'd just like to ask you a couple questions. Just a couple questions. This is for you to answer. This is between you and God. But the answers are simply this. Do you want to reverence God? Do you want to reverence God? And do you faithfully want to worship him? Or maybe I could say, do you want to worship him more faithfully? If you want to be challenged to follow through with any commitments you've made today, now is your opportunity to ask God for strength. Now is your opportunity. If you want this type of Christian experience, it's yours to claim. God's hand is out there. A new heart is in it. This is your opportunity to accept his call to mission and to extend purity to those that are living within impurity. Take hold of the unclean thing and make it clean for Jesus. That is our call. As we end this service, I'd love to pray with you. And my prayer is that all of us will go out into the world starting today, starting this week, and that we would be that hot coal. We would be that expanding river. We would be like Jesus. Share his love. Watch him work through you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a marvelous thing. I'm also going to invite Heather Preston forward to stand at the foot of the steps as our elder in charge for today. After the benediction, those of you who wish to be dismissed, feel free to wander on out and visit in the foyer, visit around here, that's fine as well. But if there's anybody in here that has a a specific burden, something that's weighing on your heart, Heather or myself, we would love to meet with you, just to listen, and then to be able to take whatever that thing is, whatever that burden is, and bring that petition to God. Pray it again. So I'm gonna have a corporate prayer and afterwards I'm gonna step down and if anybody in here, if, if you'd like to speak and to pray with either Heather or myself, we will be waiting for you. For the rest of you, after I say amen, you are dismissed. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. 
Lord, there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that it, it, it's not always clear. Sometimes it can be confusing. Lord, help us. Sometimes we might even look at it and say it's boring. But Lord, you know our hearts. We want to understand. We want to know you better. We want to see your plan for our lives and for, for all of humanity. Lord, help us to remember, help us to realize that if we come to your word, looking at it all through the lens of Christ, things will become more clear. Lord, those rituals, they weren't just simple do's and don'ts for no reason. Lord, they had a purpose. Those visions, they weren't just wild and out there for no reason. Lord, they had a purpose. And they were all pointing toward Jesus. And as we come to Jesus, as we allow him into our lives, we can all partake in building up his kingdom. And so that each one of us, soon and very soon, can see Revelation 22 become a reality. And not just for ourselves, dear Lord, please don't allow us to be content with just experiencing these riches of the future for ourselves, but give us a burden in our hearts that we want to share it with others, that we want to offer hope and forgiveness and love and acceptance to everybody in the world and bring them to you in your throne of grace. Lord, give us that power. Lord, give us that spirit. Give us that new heart that we need so much. We ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus, and we believe that you will help them to be our experience because you, oh God, keep your word. Amen. Amen.